Lisa Pierce, executive editor of Packaging Digest, with another episode of Packaging Possibilities, a podcast that reveals what's new and what's next for packaging executives and engineers, designers, and developers. In this episode, I'll be talking with Lauren Dunford, the CEO and co-founder of GuideWheel. The company is a leader in cloud-powered factory operations with a plug-and-play solution for getting actionable data on the productivity of any machine. Our topic today is the new age of manufacturing and overall equipment effectiveness, OEE, of packaging machines and packaging lines. Lauren, welcome, and thanks for talking with us today. Thanks so much, Lisa. Great to be here. And we've got such an interesting topic that we're going to just dive right into. So um, as I've been looking over some of the information about your company and uh, some of the the topics that we're going to be talking about here, I have to ask, um, you've been saying that manufacturers have experienced um, definite challenges over the, the past two years, um, which we know, you know, the labor shortages being one, um, supply chain disruptions, is, that's been all over the news, um, everything. But you've said that you believe they're going to be, become even more extreme in 2022. Why do you think that? Yeah, love that question. Um, So the reality is we all want the challenges of the past two years to become less extreme. We wish and hope that they are going away. We definitely would like them to go away, yes. (laughs) Uh, I think what I'm seeing among folks that we speak with, what we're seeing in the industry more broadly, is that the shock to the supply chain Uh, isn't yet really on track. It has so many ripple effects that are still rippling in different ways throughout that supply chain. And in 2022, the kicker from my perspective is going to be the way in which that starts to overlap with the workforce transition that was already happening in manufacturing. Uh, That projected shortfall of more than 2 million jobs by 2030, the shocks that we saw in the past couple of years rippling and overlapping with that existing transition as the workforce, more and more of it, it's retirement age, Mm -hmm. uh, is what causes me to think 2022 is is unfortunately, much as we would like it to be, uh, not necessarily going to be a whole ton better and likely to be worse. Okay. Um, So if I could just ask the supply chain disruptions, does it matter whether you're looking at a global supply chain or a more local supply chain? Yeah, definitely. So local supply chains, I think we're seeing, have a tendency to be more resilient um, with the global challenges that that we're seeing go on. The challenge is that so few of the supply chains that we we have in the world right now are truly just local because of the interconnectedness globally that's happened over the past decades. So for those truly local supply chains, absolutely, uh, that resilience is much higher. Um, it's just that there are a few that don't have some global components built into okay. that. Is that what you're seeing as well? I believe so. It's um, This is actually something that I'm still looking into and, and don't have a lot of, um, you know, set things in my mind yet because it's still something like I, I'm looking into. But 
the whole idea of sourcing uh, during the pandemic has, you know, we use that same word over and over again, disrupted. Um, but I'm just wondering how people are dealing with this. And one of the ways has been to try to find more local suppliers. But I don't know that that's always the, the solution from, you know, fi exactly finding what you want, the quality of it, uh, you know, being able to vet those, those suppliers. There's a, a lot of activity going on in that area. But I, I think you nailed it by saying there are so few supply chains that don't have a component of globalness to them. And, you know, anytime you have that in it, it's going to be, um, forgive me for using the same word, in air quotes, disrupted. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think most of the people that are listening are going to recognize already because they're living it, um, that we're in a new age of manufacturing, which um, you've kind of like said in, in earlier um, conversations with us. So um, explain to us what you mean by a new age of manufacturing. What is that? Yeah. Uh, what I mean by a new age of manufacturing is essentially three things. So first is that historically, uh, great tools and real-time visibility have been something that, you know, the biggest factories, the biggest manufacturers could always afford, all the bells and whistles. But one aspect of this new age of manufacturing is democratization of great tools, enabled by the cloud, uh, making it making the things that were formerly uh, extremely custom and bespoke now plug and play so that they can be accessed by a much broader spectrum of manufacturers. The second thing is connectedness uh, so that the team as a whole can share a source of truth and be empowered to work together with shared visibility. Um, so in, in our business, what that means is everyone from the operator to the CEO can share a single source of truth about what the machines are doing. Of course, also enabled by both the cloud and the fact that everyone's holding these very powerful smartphones, laptops, tablets uh, now mm -hmm. in a way that wasn't true in the decades ago. Sure. And then the third thing is that also because of the cloud, this new age of manufacturing will have systems that are not just static, but are getting smarter and better over time, the more that they're used and the, the more uh, plants, machines, and, and users are using them. And that, of course, is uh, you know, exciting when we think about um, what the, the potential of this new age holds. So it's the, those three things. It's democratization of what was historically only accessible to a few or the largest manufacturers, it's connectedness, man and machine, operator to CEO, fully empowered teams. Uh, and the third, it's that the systems themselves are going to be uh, getting smarter and smarter the more that they're used. And, and then, of course, the, the more manufacturers and machines that they reach. Excellent. I love that. Um, very uh, logical. And um, I can definitely see it. I like your last point, too because you just assume that people are, are learning from the tools that they're using. But a lot of times that learning doesn't make the full cycle back into, um, you know, version 2.0 or, you know, moving on um, from that. So that's really, is that, do you really think that that's a, a benefit of the cloud as opposed to other things and, and why? Yeah, I do think it's enabled by the cloud. Lots of other things, of course, need to happen, but 
Um, in you know, prior worlds, when a given plant or a given company would have on-prem systems, those systems would be pretty static. Uh, they would be you know, getting more and more data coming in, but the system itself wouldn't necessarily be improving. And certainly it wouldn't be connected to other systems to be able to improve alongside. Um, what the cloud has enabled is uh, not only that different, different plants and companies can all be benefiting from the system as it continually improves, um, but also that because uh, the cloud enables continuous release of software development, it's not like to benefit from those improvements someone would have to come install a new system. It's the same, I, I could, I mean, with, with our system, you know, folks can log in today and see a, a version that then improves when they log in 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later. And so it's that, the, the, what the cloud enables is that continuous improvement of the tools themselves uh, at a much more rapid pace. And we haven't even talked about the machine learning aspect and the, yeah. the AI, which I know you're interested in as well, but that, that of course, Yes, um, that is fantastic. Um, it, as, as soon as you say it, Lauren, of course it makes total sense, but I had never thought of it that way un until you said it. Um, you know, I'm <laughs> a little bit old school. I started many, many decades ago when um, we didn't even have in the packaging industry, we were just, um, um, the new technology for machine vision was just coming out, which tells you how long ago that was. So the idea of being able to leverage the electronic technologies that we have and that we use um, ubiquitously in our consumer lives, um, to be able to really tap into the strength of those on the manufacturing side is um, pretty exciting. So um, you've also said that you believe um, 2022, this year coming up here, is going to define this new age of manufacturing. Um, why do you say that, and how is it going to? Uh, how is this year going to define it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so what we saw was the past two years, uh, COVID, the, the disruption, all, all the words you mentioned before. Yeah, I love your, your air quotes. Um, sorry, I saw those. Nobody else saw those, but I'm, I'm seeing air quotes there. <laughs> yep. um, so basically what was happening during that time from what we saw was folks were trying to keep their heads above water. They were dealing with the resin shortage, the disruptions in the supply chain, the labor shortages, and just making do. And, you know, keeping going, uh, resilient, strong, courageous, all, all, you know, how we see people deal with real challenges. What's happening in 2022 is that it's clear now that the Band-Aid option, the keep your head above water, these things are around for the long term. So it's no longer that we're seeing folks looking for the quick fix. What folks are doing in 2022 is digging in to make the right decisions to define how they want to move moving forward into that new age. And so what defines that new age, as we're seeing it, is that people are making the decisions that will define it, how they want to manage talent in a world with increasing remote workers, how they want to be connecting human and machine in their factories, uh, what decisions they want to make now about technology that will define what that next decade or more looks like. So it was past couple of years, let's just keep our heads above water and wait for the challenges to go away. Uh, 2022, it's clear they're not. So let's let's dig in and make those decisions that 
turn those challenges into opportunities and competitive advantages for our company is what we're seeing from, from each of the, the manufacturers that we talk with. Sure. Um, we're learning how to live with the new reality. Okay. Instead of um, denying and or finding a workaround, um, we're learning how to um, work within the reality to the best of our optimization. Okay. Got it. Um, thank you for that. So, um, you know, we've already kind of talked about how technology adoption is going to help manufacturers stay competitive. Uh, I think anyone in manufacturing knows this because again they're living it um you say that you believe technologies can help dramatically improve revenue and margin um which you know uh, i agree i think everyone would agree with that but what do you mean by dramatically like what are yeah. we looking at here yeah let's get specific so yeah. Um, and we work in a world where typically the manufacturers we work with have a mix of older and newer equipment, different makes, models, ages. Uh, within each plant, there might be a patchwork of different types and ages of equipment. And then certainly across the company, if there are multiple plants, there will be that patchwork. So uh, the example I'm closest to is how manufacturers are leveraging technology to get more throughput and revenue out of those existing assets, uh, which is where that word dramatically comes into play. Um, so an example might be, for simplicity's sake, if you assume we're working with a manufacturer who has 100 machines, they might be running those machines around you know, 65% of the time, um, would be a typical number that we, that we would see, um, using manual methods of tracking that availability or runtime of their machines, uh, clipboards, Excel, the ERP you know, input. And what we see is that leveraging technology, so real-time sensors, cloud-powered visibility, can typically get them from you know, 65 to, to 80 or 85% of that runtime on their machines. And in a world in which, if we're assuming for simplicity's sake, when your machine is running, you're making product you can sell. So machine is running, you're making money. You of course, better be. You better be. Exactly, exactly. And lots of other things you can enter into that. But for simplicity's sake, if you can run your machines more, making more money, going from 65% to 85%, an increase of 20 percentage points, when we run the ROI analysis for that, it's typically, if you have 40 plants, that could be you know, $10 million, $20 million. And because it's from your existing assets, your existing machines and existing team, that money goes straight to the bottom line. It's the equivalent of getting, so we have those 100 machines, you're using 65% of them every day. You're essentially getting 20 brand new machines added on to that 100. Without all the capital of that, expenditure. With zero capital expenditure, exactly. So that's, when I say the word dramatically, it's, it's not an exaggeration. Uh, this is typically a very, very big deal for EBITDA, margin, and business value. Uh, and a very big opportunity uh, that a lot of folks are sitting on right now to leverage technology in ways that you know, maybe it's a little less sexy. It doesn't involve the word you know, machine vision um, yet, but uh, this is a, a big, meaningful opportunity to, to get more straight to the bottom line. Okay, excellent. Um, you used a couple of um, uh, oh, cripe, abbreviations that I just mm -hmm. want to clarify. ERP, Enterprise Report. 
resource planning. Um, I think most of the listeners uh, are very familiar with that, but I thought I would just point that out. And then um, the financial term EBITDA. (laughs) And I know I sort of, you know, have the sense of what it means, but I don't know what it stands for, but um, it's just basically the profitability, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So um, that's the high level look at our conversation today. Now let's get into some of the the um, the nitty gritty here from a, a packaging operations point of view. So um, as I mentioned in the intro, your company, and, and this is not gonna be a, a commercial by any means, but um, you have to exp- explain a little bit about what it is that your company does and the product that you have. So you have a plug and play solution to where you're able to put a smart sensor on packaging machines and um, that smart sensor then captures the uh, the data, the performance data on the machine and you have a uh, software program that analyzes that data and bam, um, there you have actionable, uh, actionable um, information, not just pure data, but actionable information. Um, so uh, it, did I did I get that pretty close? <laughs> yep, pretty close. Uh, where we typically focus first, and, and the principle behind this is low lift, high return. Uh, we find that when we try to boil the ocean, you know, with all the sensors or a full sandbox, sometimes, um, you know, it, it doesn't result as quickly in that improvement to profit, which is what most folks are looking for. So we focus first typically on downtime. Uh, making sure your machines are running when they should be. And in in two kind of specific ways, we can dive in as as much as you want to the details. Um, But we see two really important things helping there. The first is visibility into exactly when and how the machines are running uh, and the trend. So second by second and overall, how is our runtime? If we make money when our machines are running, for simplicity's sake, um, how is that changing? And then the second is... uh, escalating alerts so that instead of firefighting and realizing too late that something bad has happened, we're catching that in advance. This could be you know, helping prevent catastrophic breakdowns, and it could also be simple human stuff, changeovers, setup times, things where retraining and support, especially in the labor and workforce world in which we're you know, seeing so many changes happening, um, can make a really big difference to help the team uh, be able to shorten changeovers, uh, run the right setup time, and, and just get more runtime and, and product uh, from their existing machines. Okay. And as you explained it that way, it's uh, a little bit more than just preventive maintenance, which I know, um, you know, a lot of factories are pretty good about being as efficient as they can with their um, preventive maintenance, predictive maintenance, whatever. Uh, but obviously, the the real time data is always going to help in that regard because you do have a tendency to push it as far as you can um, to get those, uh, you know, the next production run out and the whatnot. Okay, so um, then how can smart sensors in general, yours specifically, but how can those smart sensors on um, packaging lines help the operations then reduce their operational risks 
mm-hmm. and um, you know hit their production goals consistently. You had um, pointed out to me those those two benefits. So tackle both of those. Yeah, I love it. I'll, I'll tackle first the hit production goals and then okay. the reduce operating risks. Um, so in terms of hit your production goals, um, if you have the right visibility, so you can go from guessing uh, what was happening with any machine at any given moment to knowing with certainty uh, when it was down, when it was up, when it was running at speed, et cetera, um, that's a, a big initial benefit. Um, the second thing is being able to go from firefighting and reacting a little too late sometimes to problems uh, to getting that you know, escalating, consistent, dependable system in place so you can stay ahead of problems. And then the third one being going from knowing that you're not quite hitting what you could be in terms of profit from your existing machines, uh, but not knowing exactly why, to being able to put a time and a name to that unplanned downtime. So as a team, and this goes to that earlier point of we're all more connected and and visibility across the team is really important. Roll it up and see where is my top cause of lost production time. Let's attack that one, run a continuous improvement cycle and and narrow in all of our efforts. So we're focusing on limited time and resources where it can drive the most impact. So in terms of hitting production goals, what we see is from those three things, the visibility, the escalating dependable system of alerts, and then also the ability to focus in limited resources on the biggest area for impact, that can typically drive down unplanned downtime and help you be on-time deliveries, uh, hitting that number because you're not waiting on a setup or a changeover that ended up going going long, waiting on a machine breakdown that you didn't expect. Um, And from sort of the first question of let's hit our production goals, reducing that unplanned downtime helps a lot. On the second area of reducing operational risk, uh, if you have a lot of information that's locked in people's heads, like when, if a given machine is having trouble, the supervisor should know, um, or when a machine exhibiting a pattern or a a, a sound or a vibration that it shouldn't, um, when that's problematic and when it's just normal, if that information is locked in people's heads, you've got a lot of risk if that person happens to be sick or happens to have to take care of you know, a, a family member who uh, is, is home after all. And so what we find is that having a consistent and dependable system where that escalating alert, that historical record of what happens with the machine and what's normal and what's not lives can really reduce the vulnerability uh, of the company to all the things that, that will happen uh, in this new age that we're living. So that starts to touch on the problem. Feel free to dig in deeper on any it, of those. It does um, because you know we've been talking for a number of years already about the uh, the knowledgeable staff that's retiring, and um, you know they're taking all their knowledge with them. In some cases, you know people look at it as an opportunity for um, the new technologies that are out there to maybe come into their own because the younger generations seem to be a little bit more comfortable with the newer technologies. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, old school, old guy, now they're, they're both gone, um, starting, you know, kind of fresh with the, the smarter technologies and the, the people with the um, necessary skills to 
work those smarter technologies. So I get both of those, but the one thing that I think is um, very interesting is how these smart sensors are getting, are learning to be a lot more intuitive, like the people have learned over time to be intuitive. Exactly what you said, where the, you know, the guy that's running the machine kind of has a sense um, of, well, I can push it this far, but no further. We got to start making, you know, a change or, you know, do, uh, do this, do that. And they have all that knowledge in their head. So um, talk a little bit about the smart, how these sensors are getting smarter. Yeah, love it. And the, the interesting thing as well is this goes back to the earlier part of the conversation. The sensors themselves uh, are not necessarily. There are some instance, instances where the sensors are getting smarter, but a lot of instances where the sensors are just getting lower cost and easier. And what they're doing is feeding that real-time data into a cloud-powered system that enables the system as a whole to get smarter and smarter in what it uh, provides in terms of actionable information without any change actually being needed to the sensors. Mm -hmm. So it, it is, I think, some cases there are, there are sensors that are getting super smart. What we see a, a little bit more frequently, though, is that it's more about the um, system as a whole taking in that data from the sensors and then combining it with the data from the very knowledgeable team who knows the machines, knows what's normal, and combining those two things is then what lets the system as a whole get smarter and smarter over time, taking in both the human context, plant floor context, and that real-time sensor data. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that you still include the human context in it. A uh, couple of, uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but I started thinking about so much um, was in the news about artificial intelligence, which has made uh, advancements um, so quickly that it's almost scary. Um, but the thing is, there are some uh, limitations, obviously, still to artificial intelligence. And I was thinking of the acronym AI and how useful it is still to actually have actual intelligence, <laughs> which is still AI, just a little bit of a different AI. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I love how you've um, made a point of saying both. Are, are necessary and helpful. Okay, so we're gonna end on a real high note here because I saved, I think I saved the best for last um, as far as like our, our listeners go because they're always looking for how to do things better, this whole idea of continuous improvement. So give us your tips. I don't know how many you've got, but give us a couple of tips here on how packaging operations can improve their OEE in 2022? Yeah. Uh, in the spirit of the tip I'm about to give, I'm going to keep it to one tip. Uh, okay. On one thing. Um, and really the tip itself is focus. You know, 80-20 Pareto is going to be something that's very familiar uh, to most folks in this space already. And I'll, I'll give a couple of specifics on how I'm seeing that play out, uh, which is, there's the 80-20 of where do you focus your attention right now overall? 
And what I'm seeing is a lot of folks are finding that, especially because new equipment might be delayed, you don't know what you're going to have in terms of talent and workforce, uh, folks are focusing the 80-20 on what can I get more from my existing equipment, team, assets that I already have. Makes total sense. And folks folks are within that, focusing their 80-20 on uh, reducing downtime. So, you know, there's, if you've got overall equipment effectiveness as a combination of availability, are my machines running when they should be, performance, are they running at the right speed, and quality, is the quality of output good? What we see is that availability metric affects the other two. And of the plants I speak with, for most of them, it's the 80-20, focusing on getting that availability dialed in, reducing all those small micro stops, all the things you wouldn't necessarily think about, uh, and really getting that dialed. Um, is the 80-20 on the plant floor for most folks. And then within the availability piece, the 80-20 we're seeing is actually just using the 80-20, rolling up where you're losing the most time, why, and focusing as a team together on that top area, getting that right, and then moving on to the next biggest area. So I'll I'll have one tip, which is 80-20, focusing rather than trying to boil the ocean on the things that really move the needle, Um, both within your operations, on that plant floor, and then as you tackle that area, actually using the 80-20, which which I think most of your listeners probably, is is that accurate, that most folks use 80-20 or Pareto in some aspect already? I would think so. I would hope so. Yes. Leaning in to that Pareto. Okay, excellent. And again, um, the the tool, if if I could say, use this as a, a tool, the data is really what's going to allow them to identify that 80%, that 80-20. Um, and it, it's um, nice that we have such precise information now on that, whereas before it was a lot more intuitive. So the measurements um, that we're getting from smart sensors and, and these you know, overall systems I think are going to enable our listeners to be able to do exactly what you're suggesting that they do. Focus on that 80/20. So excellent! See how we, you know, went full circle with all of that, Lauren. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much, Lisa.